housekeeping. Welcome to worship this fifth Sunday of Lent. Lent seems to have gone by just really quickly already this year. Um, we're, we're already well into spring, um, the Seattle spring of bright sunshine and downpours and rainbows. We acknowledge, as always, that we are worshiping on the land of indigenous people. And here in Seattle, that means we're worshiping on unceded Duwamish land. We give thanks to the Duwamish and all the first peoples of the land for their stewardship going back generations and generations and generations. We give thanks to our creator for these folks and give thanks also for their continued, um, the continued work and presence that they have in the city of Seattle. And uh, acknowledge that we as a, as a colonist, a settler community have, have responsibilities in uh, allyship with these folks. For this time of Lent, uh, through these weeks, now five of them, we've been hearing stories of repentance and rejoicing and repair. Today, we'll hear the very familiar story of Zacchaeus, at least familiar to me. We sang the song about Zacchaeus being a wee little man when I was in Sunday school. Um, this wealthy man in the parable of, or the wealthy man in the parable of, of last week had a deep chasm between himself and the poor. He never had an opportunity, or I should say, he had the opportunity, but did not take it during his lifetime to turn from the ways of repair. But something different happens in the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus could show the wealthy man of last week how it's done. Also, in the tradition of introspection and confession during Lent, we'll have an opportunity each of these Sundays to offer our confessions and also to re receive the assurance of God's ever-present love and grace for us. We're naming the ways, even if it's only to ourselves and to our creator, the ways that we need to repent and to repair, and we're rejoicing in God's love and assurance. We may rejoice too that the Holy Spirit continues to connect us, to weave us together as a community, as we claim this time of physical distancing, not simply as something to endure, but as something that we experience and share together, even as we have little glimpses of hope as we begin to gather, even if in small groups, in person and inside, as we heard Pete share this morning. We rejoice with you, Pete. Our opening song this morning is uh, a hymn. It's from the Voices Together hymn book, and it is a recording and I think this is the Bethel College Choir, but I'm not absolutely certain about that. This is from the Voices Together recording.
have to admit, I got a little teary in that second stanza thinking about <clears throat> coming together to feast and joining hands and being with the community. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Feeling just a little bit still both nostalgic and hopeful about being together and sharing food and sitting at a table with you all. I invite you to join with Pastor Megan in the responses during this call to worship. I'll, I'll read the white and Megan will read the purple. <laughs> with the pressing crowd searching for healing and hope. We wish to see Jesus. With the pushed out and cast aside, with the lonely, the lost, stripped of pride. We wish to see Jesus. With those seeking mystery and meaning, wisdom and grace. We wish to see Jesus. We light our peace candle again this week, um, our just peace candle to acknowledge that we both witness to and participate in God's vision of a just peace for all creation. Uh, and today, again, in a week where our nation has experienced uh, gun violence and white supremacy directed against Asian women, <clears throat> uh, we name the grief and rage that we feel. Uh, we pray especially for those in our, <clears throat> in our congregation and those in our community who are Asian American or who love people of Asian descent and um, pray that we can be a welcoming space and that we can work actively against, uh, against hatred. Together we pray, we long for a just peace, we pray for a just peace, we choose to live for a just peace. May the peace of Christ be with you and also with you. Move some things out of my way for a, to read my book. My book this morning is probably known to many of you. This has been around at least since my older child was small. I think longer than that. I'm not sure. Well, I'm noticing on it now. It has a reading rainbow sticker on it, which makes me know that it's been around for a while. But I consider this book, Enemy Pie, a classic, a classic of peace literature for children. And the reason is now... Children, if you're encountering this, or adults, if you're encountering this for the first time, and you're seeing that it says enemy pie, I wonder, that makes me wonder, what is in a pie that you would give to someone who is your enemy? The kid on the cover of this book has a pie, and I see worms, and I see dirt, and maybe some rocks some leaves and branches are my best enemy, it says. I wonder if that's what he's going to serve to his enemy. I thought of this book because in the story from the Bible that we'll hear in a minute, 
Jesus eats with somebody who many people would say is an enemy. And uh, he is, uh, he is an enemy, but Jesus chooses to have a dinner with him. And I wonder if Jesus would serve someone a pie with dirt in it. I kind of don't think so. But let's see what this kid decides to serve to his enemy. It should have been a perfect summer. My dad helped me build a treehouse in our backyard. My sister was at camp for three whole weeks. And I was on the best baseball team in town. It should have been a perfect summer, but it wasn't. Hmm. It was all good until Jeremy Ross moved into the neighborhood, right next door to my best friend, Stanley. I did not like Jeremy Ross. He laughed at me when he, when he struck me out at the baseball game. He had a party on his trampoline, and I wasn't even invited. But my best friend, Stanley, was. I wonder what kind of feelings he was having, knowing that his friend was invited to a party that he wasn't invited to. That's what I wonder about that. Jeremy Ross was the one and only person on my enemy list. Enemy number one, Jeremy Ross. I never even had an enemy until he moved to town. But as soon as he came along, I needed one. I hung it up on my treehouse where Jeremy Ross was not allowed to go. Dad understood stuff like enemies. He told me that when he was my age, he had enemies too. But he knew a way to get rid of them. I asked him to tell me how. Tell you how? I'll show you, he said. He pulled out a really old recipe book off the, kitchen's, off the kitchen shelf. Inside, there was a worn out scrap of paper with faded writing. Dad held it up and squinted at it. Enemy pie, he said, satisfied. You may be wondering exactly what is in enemy pie. I was wondering too. But dad said the recipe was, was so secret he couldn't even tell me. I decided it must be magic. I begged him to tell me something, anything. I will tell you, he said. Enemy pie is the fastest known way to get rid of enemies. Now, this got my mind working. What kinds of things, disgusting things, would I put into a pie for an enemy? I brought dad some weeds from the garden but he just shook his head. I brought him earthworms and rocks, but he didn't think that he'd use those. I gave him the gum I'd been chewing on that morning. He gave it right back to me. I went out to play alone. I shot baskets until the ball got stuck on the roof. I threw a boomerang that never came back to me. And all the while, I listened to the sounds of my dad chopping and stirring and blending the ingredients of enemy pie. This could be a great summer after all enemy pie was going to be truly awful. I tried to imagine how horrible it must smell, or worse yet, what it would look like. But then, but when I was really, when I was in the backyard looking for ladybugs, I smelled something really, really, really good. As far as I could tell, it was coming from our kitchen. I was a bit confused. I went back in to ask dad what was wrong. Enemy pie shouldn't smell this good, but dad was smart. If enemy pie smelled bad, your enemy would never eat it, he said. I couldn't tell 
I could tell he'd made enemy pie before. The buzzer rang and dad put on the oven mitts and pulled the pie out of the oven. Looked like plain old pie. Looked good enough to eat. I was catching on, but still, I wasn't sure how this enemy pie worked. What exactly did it do to enemies? Maybe it made their hair fall out or their breath really stinky. Maybe it made bullies cry. I asked dad, but he was no help. He couldn't tell me a thing, but when the pie cooled, he filled me in on my job. He talked quietly. There was one part of enemy pie that I can't do. In order for it to work, you need to spend one day with your enemy. Even worse, you have to be nice to him. It's not easy, but that's the only way for enemy pie to work. And are you sure you really want to go through with this? Of course I was. It sounded horrible. It was scary, but it was worth a try. All I had to do was spend one day with Jeremy Ross. Then he would be out of my hair, out of my life. I rode my bike to his house and knocked on the door. When Jeremy opened the door, he seemed surprised. He stood on the other side of the screen door and looked at me, waiting for me to say something. I was nervous. Can you play? I asked. He looked confused. I'll go ask my mom, he said. He came back with his shoes in his hands. His mom walked around the corner to say hello. You boys stay out of trouble, she said, smiling. We rode bikes for a while and played on the trampoline. We made water balloons and threw them at the neighborhood girls, but we missed. Jeremy's mom made us lunch. After lunch, we went over to my house. It was strange, but I kind of was having fun with my enemy. It almost seemed nice. But of course, I couldn't tell my dad that since he had worked so hard to make the enemy pie. Jeremy Ross liked my basketball hoop. He said he wished he had a basketball hoop, but they didn't have room. I let him win a game just to be nice. Jeremy Ross knew how to throw a boomerang. He threw it and it came right back to him. I threw it and it went over my house and into the backyard. When we climbed over the fence to find it, the first thing that Jeremy Ross noticed was my treehouse. A treehouse was my treehouse. I was the boss. If my sister wanted in, I didn't have to let her. If my dad wanted in, I didn't have to let him. And if Jeremy Ross wanted in, can we go in, he asked. I knew he was going to ask me that, but he was the top person, the only person on my enemy list and enemies aren't allowed in my treehouse. But he did teach me how to throw a boomerang. And he did have me over for lunch. And he did let me play on his trampoline. He wasn't being a very good enemy. Okay, I said, but hold on. I climbed up ahead of him and tore the enemy list off the wall. I had a checkerboard and cards up in the treehouse and we played games until my dad called us down for dinner. We pretended we didn't hear him. But when he came to get us out, we tried to hide from him, but somehow he found us. Dad made us macaroni and cheese for dinner, my favorite. It was Jeremy's favorite too. Jeremy Ross wasn't so bad after all. I was beginning to think that we just should forget all about enemy pie. But sure enough, after dinner, dad brought out the pie. I watched as he cut right into, right, cut it into eight thick slices. Dad, I said, it sure is nice having a new friend in the neighborhood. I was trying to get his attention, trying to tell him that dear Jeremy Ross was no longer my enemy, but dad only smiled and nodded. I think he thought I was just pretending. Dad dished up three plates side by side with big pieces of pie and scoops of ice cream. He passed one to me 
I went to Jeremy. Wow, Jeremy said, looking at the pie. My dad never makes pies like this. It was at that point that I panicked. I didn't want Jeremy to eat enemy pie. He was my friend. I couldn't let him eat it. Jeremy, don't eat it. It's bad pie. It's poisonous or something. Jeremy's fork stopped on his way to his mouth. He crumpled his eyebrows and looked at me funny. I was relieved. Oh, I'd saved his life. He was a hero. If it's so bad, Jeremy asked, why has your dad already eaten half of it? I turned and looked at my dad. Good stuff, he mumbled through a mouthful. And that was all he said. I sat there watching him eat enemy pie for a few seconds. Dad was laughing. Jeremy was eating happily. And neither of them was losing their hair. Seemed safe enough. I took a tiny taste. Enemy pie was delicious. After dessert, Jeremy rode his bike home, but not before inviting me to come over and play on his trampoline in the morning. He said he'd teach me how to flip. As for enemy pie, I still don't know how to make it. I still wonder if enemies really do hate it or if their hair falls out or if their breath turns bad. But I don't know if they'll ever, I'll, get it, I'll ever get the answer because I just lost my best enemy. I noticed the difference between this pie and the one that they ate. I also noticed that when the two kids spent time together learning to get to know each other, that's how an enemy turned into a friend. Our scripture reading for this morning is about Jesus eating with someone and turning an enemy into a friend, not only his friend, but a friend of the community. It's from Luke 18, 31 to 19, 10. Then Jesus took the 12 aside and said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of humanity by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and insulted and spat upon. After they have flogged him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. But they understood nothing about all of these things. In fact, what he said was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the side of the road begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in the front sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately, he regained his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. 
He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore uh, to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay him back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of humanity came to seek out and to save the lost. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. I invite you to join me in confession and also in receiving assurance. Again, I will read the white print and Pastor Megan will read the purple print and I invite you to speak, uh, speak those words along with her. God, whose arms are always open and welcome, we turn to you in repentance. When we have quieted, dismissed, or ignored those who would point us to you. Forgive us. When we have judged, labeled, or mischaracterized and maligned others. Forgive us. When we have held back or reserved for ourselves what is only ours to share. Forgive us. Repair what has been broken in us, and with your help, may we seek to repair the brokenness that we cause. Friends, now hear these words of assurance. The God whose arms are always open, and who is who's, the God who welcomes with open arms, rejoices in our homecoming. Receive the assurance and joy of God's constant love and mercy. Amen. The song that we're going to hear, I just wanted to uh, highlight a few words because they're a little different. And I'm always looking for some fresh ideas and songs. Um, and your word is a murmuring of love's secret ways. Your word is a wounding giving birth to new, to new days. Your word is a knowing, a deliverance, a birth. Your word is a sowing in the welcoming earth. Um, that sowing line we've heard a lot of in the in hymns, but it is spring, so it's still appropriate. And just note that there's a musical interlude right after each chorus. Sing with us. Your word comes. 
comes upon us as the clay shapes in turning holy love forms among us Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I know many of you are singing it in your head, so let's just say it out loud. He was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. And Zacchaeus was stigmatized. He was stigmatized by his community and by ours, or at least by me, my whole life. And for some justifiable or at least understandable reasons. Zacchaeus is the tax guy. Who likes the tax guy? Even those of us who are pro-tax, which I can I, I see you, Rex. I see you, Rex. You like the tax guy. Excellent. We maybe even have a few in our church. I like y'all. It's not personal. 
even those of us who are pro-tax, who say, yes, this is part of what it means to be community, to be society together, is to pool our resources and to take care and to do some equitable distribution and to provide social safety nets and to provide infrastructure. And uh, no one really likes the tax guy. Partly too, because there's so many inequities built into the system. Like I just get angry every time when I'm paying my share of taxes, when I know how many who are so much wealthier than I are not that the system is built to allow the wealthy to not pay. Uh, so there's some reasons, right? Some understandable reasons why it's tough. And in Zacchaeus's day, there was this additional layer that made it challenging. And that additional layer is that he was working for the occupying force, right? He was working for Rome who was occupying the land and collecting taxes from his own people, supposedly his own people on behalf of the empire. He was the imperial, the bridge to the imperial system. So he was experienced surely by his own community as a bit of a traitor and an extortionist. Was he, was he an extortionist? Well, I. I don't even know that his people needed his friends, his neighbors, those he was taking money from. I don't know that they even needed to investigate. The text tells us he was very wealthy. He was doing well for himself. I'm sure that told them all they needed to know. It must be so. And we have read this story traditionally, or at least I did um, in all my years growing up as a story of repentance, as a story of Zacchaeus individually repenting. Jesus invites himself over, he is convicted by the presence of Jesus, and he changes his heart and his ways. So then the ending of the story is his personal confession. He has overcharged, he has frauded, he will therefore pay back, he will therefore make repair and make right. Jesus declares it so. Jesus declares that salvation has come. And that salvation, I've always understood to be having taken place in Zacchaeus's heart, that his intentions have changed. His practice has changed. And that has led to greater economic justice. And this reading of the text is certainly in line with Luke's general perspective that we have encountered in story after story after story. Luke's general perspective that the accumulation of wealth is a barrier, at the very least, to the Jesus way and to the reign of God. It is, at the very least, a hurdle, something you're going to have to figure out what to do with. So this seems like a fine reading, this reading I've done my whole life of this story. Except there's a wrinkle. With the aid of some fresh eyes to new to this story for whom Zacchaeus wasn't a wee little man from the time of little on up. With the aid of some of those fresh eyes new to the story and also some basic New Testament Greek grammatical skills it turns out that Zacchaeus's supposed confession at the end of this story is not in the future tense. He's not saying things that he will do, that he will pay back, that he will give half of all he has to the poor, that he will 
pay back four times anyone he's defrauded. It's present tense. And the reading of it is still a little bit, um, you can read it in multiple ways. It's not, it's not totally clear how to read it. But that present tense shows that Zacchaeus, perhaps more than sharing a future action, is actually describing his current practice, something he is already doing. He gives. He gives half of what he's got. He, if he's ever found to have frauded, he pays back four times, which is perhaps up to double what the law actually required of him. So extra generosity. He already does this, present tense. And with Jesus in his home, as he is describing this practice of his, he commits to the continuation of that practice. So what if the story is less, in the way that I've read it, about Zacchaeus's individual repentance, his confession, his change of heart and practice, and more about the community around him having stigmatized him because he's the tax guy working for Rome. What if the salvation that Jesus describes at the end of the story is less about the money that's exchanged from hand to hand to hand and more about Zacchaeus's belonging? As Jesus says at the end of the story, salvation has come to this house. You are a child of Abraham. You are a child of Abraham and Sarah. Jesus declares it so. Salvation is the community around him learning about him, knowing him more fully, and claiming that Zacchaeus is one of us. Jesus says he's one of y'all. This point, I guess the sermon soundtrack goes, we are family. I got all my sisters and me. <laughs> I think you know this about me. I live my life with kind of a soundtrack in my head and every now and then I let people in on what's playing in my head. That was what was playing in my head. You're welcome and I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, the narrative lectionary has once again given us a longer story than we are accustomed to, a longer reading. And so we heard this morning, not just the story of Zacchaeus, we heard a couple of stories that we perhaps have never before heard together in a single worship service. Maybe we've read them together in a Bible study on Luke or... Maybe you've read it on your own as you were reading Luke and you've noticed how they flow one to the other, but it is possible that you've never heard these two stories next to one another in a single worship service. So we also heard the story of the blind man at the gates to Jericho, uh, who was also stigmatized, who um, uh, might, this might seem, in fact, to reinforce this new twist on reading Zacchaeus. This blind man was also on the literal edge of a crowd, shouting for Jesus, shushed by the crowd, shouting even more, and this is undignified behavior 
for a grown man to be shouting across a crowd to the person who's walking into town. It's also, I think, undignified for a grown man to hike up his robes and climb a sycamore tree. Don't think you would have seen very many grown professionals engage that sort of behavior. So we have some undignified behavior from those who have been stigmatized and pushed to the edge of the crowd. And Jesus comes to the one stigmatized. Jesus actually takes his body, walks toward the one stigmatized and cast to the edge, the one shushed. Jesus is almost always surprising the crowd with his attentions. He's always surprising the crowd with his attentions, who he's giving his attentions to. Sometimes he's rather offending the crowd with his attentions. And all for the sake of naming, for restoring, and by moving his body toward the stigmatized one, enacting belonging. Jesus names, restores, and with his body enacts belonging. Which reminds me of a couple weeks ago in The Lost Sheep and the shepherd who insists on the hundredness of the full hundred. All of this also made me think of one of those TED Talks that went viral a couple of years ago um, by Nigerian author and writer. I know many of us have read a number of her books, Chimimanda Ngozi Adichie. And she gave this TED talk that people were sharing a bunch. I uh, had to go back and rewatch it, but it's about a single story. And she talks about the danger of a single story. And the main point of her talk is that because we're so impressionable in the face of a story, we need to always be aware that single stories create stereotypes. And the problem isn't, she claims, the problem isn't that stereotypes are not true, but that they're incomplete. They make one story become the whole story. Make one story become the whole story. Single stories are compelling and they sell. And this is why, according to one commentator, the media and politics and religion often get caught up in these single stories, but they do not open us up to more mercy and grace, and they do not help us to see with the eyes of Jesus. They do not help us to move our bodies toward the enacting of belonging. The Jesus I believe in, another commentator wrote, is one who deconstructs the lies of the single story and revealed the goodness and the humanity in the least expected places. So, thanks to Jesus and Chimimanda Ngozi Adichie, it leaves me with some questions that I 
pose of myself and invite you to enter in wherever they resonate for you as well. Who am I stigmatizing? Who am I shoving to the edge of my crowd? Who am I shushing? <laughs> Who am I rolling my eyes at? I probably do more of that than Jesus likes. I'm an eye roller. Who am I rolling my eyes at? Who am I judging for their proximity to power? That's a hard one. Who am I reducing to a single story or a stereotype? And here's where we get to enemy pie land. What a great story for today's worship. Where is their opportunity to listen in my life? Where is their opportunity to learn? to learn perhaps, or not even perhaps, certainly, to certainly learn some new things. Where is their opportunity? Where is their opportunity to become more human to one another, more fully human to one another? Where is their opportunity to belong to one another? I'm just gonna kind of look at some of your faces on my screen. Where is their opportunity to belong to one another? And where is their opportunity in, to find in our deepened belonging to one another? Salvation. Where might we be saved? By our deepened belonging to one another. I invite you to live those questions with me. Amen. I apologize, and I'm just going to start us over with this music because I feel like we need to hear it from the beginning. Moon's Prayer. Thank you, Michael.
Thank you, Michael. Let's continue in a spirit of prayer. Holy friend, health of the sick, comfort of the sad, rebuke of the oppressor, judge of the greedy, hope of the repentant, friend of the downtrodden. In prayer, we lift up to you this world with its outrageous injustices, yet also its outpouring of human kindness from ordinary people. Loving God, let your blessing be upon those who serve their neighbors without thought of reward, who forgive their enemies 70 times seven, who care for broken strangers as if they were dearest friends, who weep with the bereaved as if they were sisters, who heal the diseased, not counting the risk to themselves. Let your blessing encourage those who work for peace when the only result seems to be more violence, who preach and live the gospel in the face of persecution, who feed the hungry although their efforts get misinterpreted, who stand up for the downtrodden in spite of public scorn, and who maintain the church when those around belittle it. We grieve and rage with Asian American women and the whole AAPI community for the acts of misogyny and racialized violence in Atlanta this week and for the wave of violence against Asian people in this past year. Be with those of Asian descent in our own congregation in protection and comfort. Help us to be conspirators against racism and advocates for nonviolence. We commend into your holy presence, Soon Park, Hyun Grant, Soon Cha Kim, Yong Yu, Delania Ashley Yon, Paul Andre Michaels, Chiao Ji Tan, Dao Yo Fong. We also grieve violence in our own city and pray for the community of Emerald City Bible Fellowship, host to the Community Passageways program. We lift up this community organization that has been diligently working at alternatives to incarceration and the criminal legal system with hope that you will continue to work through them in spite of the shooting of one of their participants during a meeting this week. Surround and uphold the families and communities of the victim and of the shooter. And with the congregation at ECBF, we pray that the shooter will turn himself in. We pray too for Emerald City's partner, Rainier Beach Health and Fitness, where our former VSR Marla Zumfelda still works, whose staff are shaken and sad. We continue to lift up into your care, Kent McDaniel, who was hospitalized much of the last week. Fill his body with your healing care and surround him with supportive community as he continues to recover at home. We lift up Michael Bade before you this, this morning, who is preparing to undergo surgery um, 
uh, uh, heart procedure in the next couple of weeks. Guide the hand of the surgical team, strengthen his body as it heals and grant him peace of mind in the anticipation. Turning to the chat. Lord God, in this moment and in this day, in this time, we continue to hold the prayers that are in our hearts, both spoken and unspoken. Uh, prayer of gratitude with Pastor Amy for a beautiful birthday celebration for Ori yesterday. Holy friend, please reach out your hand over each of us gathered here now that our faith may be enlarged and fortified, our vision enlightened and extended, and our compassion refreshed and widened. Through Jesus of Nazareth, whose love was good enough for the simple, too much for the proud and powerful, and absolutely amazing for all who shared his cup. Amen. We continue in <clears throat> spirit of prayerful gratitude for your offerings, for all that you give of yourselves to this community in your time and in your presence, and also, yes, in, with your money. We're grateful for the means to be able to uh, gather those uh, offerings digitally. <clears throat> for our so closing song, we're going to sing again with Michael and also with Lisa, I think, if I remember right. Uh, just to note that but Michael and Lisa, when they sing this, are um, trying to go beyond using our binary language of brothers and sisters. So it won't match up exactly with what's on the screen, but I think we can sing along anyway.
God. Together we will walk with God. We will go rejoicing till the kingdom has come. We will go rejoicing till the kingdom has come. And now receive this benediction from our Voices Together hymn book. It's number 1059. Go forth in peace and be of good courage. Hold fast to what is good. Rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the God who fills the hungry with good things. Fill us all with Christ-like love and with a consuming hunger for justice in our land and in the world. Amen.